Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, you are watching Tax Tuesdays. Hopefully you're able to hear us loud and clear. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Toby. Hey, so we were just playing around with computers. So we're live streaming this one out to the YouTube world. In addition to doing our normal, our normal, what would you call it? Broadcast. Yeah. There we go. Broadcast. One of those words. Jeff here is in the middle of tax season. Two more weeks to go, right? Three weeks. Three weeks. Two more weeks to go. And then that extra second. Extra bonus. No, yeah, three weeks. Yeah, so we're right at the end. So, how, how are you guys holding up? We're still alive. We're still alive. Okay. <laughs> still alive. All right. So, anyway, so uh, there we go. So, we have some folks. Hey, uh, tell me where you're at. Somebody wrote Florida right away. Tell me where you're at so we can kind of see where everybody is. We have several, we have hundreds of people applying into the room. We want to see where everybody's at. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you could still do it in the chat, uh, Matthew or Ander. How are you guys doing that? We have uh, somebody monitoring chat. Cool. So you're going to be on a little bit of a delay, but we'll still be able to. We'll still be able to get to you. That's how we roll. Look at that. So we have Claremont, we have Hawaii, Missouri, Texas, ooh, Georgia, Tampa, San Francisco, Fort Washington, Long Island, Chicago, Houston, lots of Florida, Idaho. Louisiana, Fredericksburg, Texas, Rancho Mirage, San Diego. Look at that, Alaska. So we got Alaska. We have down to Florida. Let's see how up Long Island. Let's see how far up north we can get on the East Coast. Let's see. We have spring outside of. Uh, I'm looking for a banger. Outside of Houston. What's that? I'm North Dakota. For a banger, Maine. A banger, Maine. El Paso, uh, Irvine. That's obviously not on the East Coast. Gosh, we have a lot of folks on right now. That's good. White Plains, New York. That's pretty far up there, I think. I grew up in Philadelphia. Anything north? Oh, there's Boston. There you go. Boston. A wicked pisser. All right. So we got lots to go over. Let's see if we have any Delaware in the house, Queens, New York, Jersey, Lawrenceville. We have just too many. All right. And then somebody just immediately does a monster question. So I'm going to let you guys know the chat is where you can put comments as we go through things. You can ask questions that are more comprehensive on the question and answer. If you're on YouTube, just use, what would they be using, Matthew? They just use in the chat on, uh, or the comment section on YouTube. Correct. Yeah. There's a chat they can interact and we can interact with them on there. Okay. So you just use the chat and what are you guys going to do? Move it over to question and answer if you want us to answer it. Correct. All right. And we have, uh, I know we have Dana, Elliot, Ander, Patty on, Matthew on. Who else do we have out there? I saw Ian's name. We have so many people on. Oh, Troy is on. So Dana, Christos is on, Pio is on. So you got a bunch of, uh, you got tax attorneys, you got CPAs, you got EAs, you got a, a bunch of talent on to answer your questions. So if you have a question to ask, this would be the day to do it. Because you have a whole bunch of people there getting on here. Can you talk about earnings from Venmo Cash App? Okay, we'll talk about that stuff later. All right, what else we got? 
Uh, if you have questions during the uh, when we're not doing the tax Tuesday, we do it every two weeks, uh, every other Tuesday. What you do is uh, email it in to tax Tuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. My little pillow was crooked and it was going to drive me crazy. So I had to go resituate. <laughs> you feel like you're slow now. <laughs> I was like, ah, let's see. So we have Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors and you could absolutely pop it in there and uh, we'll make sure that we get to you, uh, which will be fun. And what else we got? Hey, this is fast, fun and educational. We just want to bring you guys some tax, tax, tax knowledge to the masses. That's what I like to say. All right. So here's the questions we're going to be going over today. This is an interesting one. Is the Form 1031 option applicable on personal use property in case the same property is sold less than two years uh, of use by the owner? So we'll get into what that means. I, I know why they're doing it. I can see just by that two years. And we'll discuss the different options. What are some things one needs to know to do with about taxes in reference to real estate? Like who would you get a 1031 exchange from when you're getting ready to sell a property? I'd like a 1031 exchange and price. I have an S corp and wanted to know if they're, I'm just teasing. Of course, I think I'm funny. I have an S corp and wanted to know if there are any tax advantages to buying real estate business to grow my S corp. Is it more worthwhile creating another instead probably another S corp instead of buying another to add my S corp? Well, I don't know. Actually, maybe that one's confusing to me. We will dissect that one. Jeff, you're going to have to answer that one. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I have a second home in my personal name in a different state. It has appreciated. If I sell the property, how would it be taxed? Good question. Uh, I have a client that purchased a home in 2016, lived in it for four years. And in 2020, they rented it to a friend. On their taxes, they reported that year of rental, which they didn't gain anything from. They want to sell it and help their daughter get into a new place. They don't want to pay capital gains on the property. What would be the best course of action? We've got news, good news for you. Uh, I invested in real estate syndication with the SDR or SDIRA, which stands for a self-directed IRA, traditional IRA account. The account is soon to be extinct. <laughs> we'll see what, what passes. The account is deferred tax account. I receive K1 showing income. I'm told I have to pay UBIT now on related business income tax. Do I also pay taxes when I take a distribution? Wouldn't that be double taxing or double taxation? So, hmm. so we'll answer that one. I plan to purchase rental property with a loan with option to occupy several weeks out of the year. So you're going to buy a rental property and they want to stay in it. If uh, Is it better to rent entirely or purchase a secondary home? If I am to use it as rental only, how much travel expense am I allowed? Am I allowed to write off travel the year prior as it took time? And several try, tries, probably tries to actually obtain a property. I just grab the stuff when they mail it in. So sometimes are, it's not me writing these out. Sometimes they're a little butchered on the, uh, on the good old fashioned grammar. Can my business pay 100% of my tuition for going, advancing my career? If yes, how do I set it up? With our C-Corp, would it be best to pay us a minimum reasonable salary and supplement our personal income with dividend payouts? assuming that dividends are taxed at a lower rate, not subject to self-employment tax. So we'll talk about that. Considering investing in real estate with the associated deductions to offset some of the 2021 year period to capital gains. May the purchase of the real estate occur prior 
to filing deadline 2020 to offset gains made in 2021 or needs to occur the same year. We'll decipher that. Again, some of these, the writing's a little bit clunky, but we'll get and distill it down to its essence and then talk about the rules. I am looking to domesticate my LLC from Nevada to Wyoming. I have previously done a flip in the LLC. Is it okay to move to Wyoming as a standalone entity? Is my anonymity already shot? Question mark. Good question. We'll answer that. Uh, with all the proposed tax changes under this administration, are there any moves that we should uh, be making now? That's what I'm going to say. Be made now. That should be made now. Actually, they're better. Are there any moves that should be made now? That's actually all right. Yeah, we'll get into it. I'm losing my. Opinion. Are you used to? You're not used to reading clear grammar. <sighs> yeah, I'm always trying to figure out what they're doing, so it's always fun. All right. You guys, uh, I see a couple of you guys. Yeah, just reach it if you're having any issues with the Zoom, and these guys will help you troubleshoot it. Zoom, like all the online platforms, sometimes can do some funky things. And there's just some easy workarounds, so we'll help you with it. And our guys are already jumping on. I can see them typing away and answering questions. And some of these are like, that's a seven-part question right there that Elliot is working away at. So that's awfully nice. All right, is the form... 1031 option applicable on personal use property in case the same o- o- the same property is sold less than two years of use by the owner. Jeff, what say you? Well, I got to get something off my chest. It, mm-hmm. It's not form 1031. It's section 1031 of the IRS code. <laughs> there is no form 1031. Yeah. Uh, this option is not applicable to personal property or personal use property, such as your primary residence or second home. Mm-hmm. Unless you convert that property into some type of investment property, a rental property, or so forth. So you could do that, live in it for, and, and I'll go ahead and jump to the second part of the question. If, if it's sold less than two years of use by the owner. So we have really kind of two issues here. We need to make an investment property, you'd be able to use 1031. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the two years we're talking about section 121 exclusion of excluding gain on the sale of your primary residence. Mm-hmm. If you have less than two years living there, there's a few exceptions. One is active duty being deployed. One is you were forced to move, relocate because of your job. Health or extraordinary, Health, yeah. extraordinary circumstances. So if you've had like if COVID's hit your family kids is sometimes like they've actually done that where somebody had a smaller house and they had twins, then you could use a portion of the capital gain exclusion. And the way it works is I have to live in it two out of five years. If I lived in it one, I would get 50% of the capital gain exclusion, which means for a single person, it's 250,000 for a married couple, it's 500,000. And that means you lived there and owned it. So you would get 50% of whatever that amount is. So if you're a married couple, you get a $250,000 exclusion, not 50% of the capital gains. You actually get that big chunk of exclusion. Mm-hmm. So if the property went up $100,000, you wouldn't have to pay any tax on it. It's not that you get 50% of the hundred. So what I think I do here depends on how much gain I'm looking at. You've only held it for less than two years. So if the gains material, I think I consider turning it into a rental property mm-hmm. uh, for a year. And then selling it. Yeah, it, it really depends on also whether you qualify under 121 as one of the of the other circumstances. It's not horrible to horrifically difficult to qualify 
for the partial use of the uh, of the conclusion. It's under 26 U.S.C. 121, so you can go look at Section 121. Jeff is right; it's not Form 1031; it's a section, so it's it's actually a code section. So it's um, Internal Revenue Code uh, 1031. It's only for real estate, and it's only for investment properties, and it has to go name to name. So what a lot of people don't realize is that you can use a 121 exclusion, that capital gain exclusion, and the 1031 exclusion on the same property. In 1031, in a simple way, is I can trade real estate for more real estate. And it's not, I could sell one property and buy 20 properties. As long as they're equal or greater value, I just roll my basis into this new property. I pay no capital gains. I pay no depreciation recapture. So it's a very, very effective tool. And you can marry that with that two-year capital gain exclusion. Here's how it works. The 121 exclusion, which is that 500,000 capital gain exclusion if you're single, uh, $500,000 capital gain exclusion if you're married, means you lived in it as your primary principal residence two of the last five years. Not the last two years, two of the last five. So you could literally live in a house, and we're going to see this later because I saw one of the other questions hits this point. I could live in a house for two years, and then I could rent it for up to three years and sell it, and I get my 121 exclusion plus I get my 1031 too. What the 121 will do, because people say, well, why would I do that? Why would anybody do that? Why, why would you want to use the 121 exclusion with the 1031? Because that wipes out gain immediately. Uh, it's such your, your basis higher. It steps up your basis. So if you ever have a taxable transaction, so if, if you die with a 1031 exchange, Right now, your basis resets at the fair market value, so nobody ever pays tax on that money. But if you sold your property later in life, you'd have an extra 500000 of basis that you won't pay tax on. Uh, first thing I do if uh, I want to do the 1031 with my primary residence is once I quit living there, I dump that puppy into a single member LLC mm-hmm. for liability protection. Yeah, after you've done the exchange, if yes. it's your name. If you're in an LLC, you close the new property on the LLC, even if you're going to make it into a principal residence, which you can do. You just have to go investment property to investment property. Mm-hmm. And that, but you can convert that investment property back to personal use after. So I love these discussions. That's more technical than people probably wanted to get into, but it helps. Uh, does the property have to be titled to you personally to take the 121 exclusion? The answer is no. It could be a, a, a grantor trust where you're the grantor. It could be an LLC that's a single owner LLC, but it has to be your uh, residence, your principal primary residence. Like if you have two residents, it's where you spend the majority of your time. You can't have two, by mm-hmm. the way. And uh, you can only use it two out of five years. That's how they, it's called the anti-washing rules. So you can't do this every like over and over and over again, every year have a two, pro, you know, hey, I'm going to live in this one and I'm going to live in this one and, and play that game. So it's every two years. And then you, you have to occupy it and have it in your name. If you're married and the person lived with you, then that's considered their occupancy and you're satisfying the ownership test. The LLC, uh, Ethan, I it cannot be a partnership. There is a, uh, there is written, guidance on LLCs that are disregarded, but not for partnerships, because they look at that and say, now Mm -hmm. you've crossed over into investment. There are some special rules for divorce and death with Mm -hmm. Section 121. 
if you run into that, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you need to talk to your tax advisor. You got to sell within two years or the the use of a divorced spouse, They you can get that period of time too because you have to be in it, you have to own it. And now it's your ex-spouse, but you still, they'll allow you to qualify. But I think it's two years after. But 121 is a very lengthy section. You just talk to somebody who knows it. And we put a lot out there on YouTube and other things that uh, that that do it. Yeah, I taught a, I, I just taught a continuing education on it. But one is it's it's a big difference when it's sitting in front of you, and you're looking at it. Hey, speaking of sitting in front of you, you guys can join us for this Saturday, the Tax and Asset Protection Workshop live. It's absolutely free. My partner Clint Coons does a big chunk of the day, and then I jump on and do tax and legacy planning. It's a lot of fun. If you want to join us, here's the link. Absolutely free. Uh, spend a day, like we don't kill you with it. It's I think nine to four Pacific standard time. So we get out of there a little bit early and we give you an hour in the middle of it to take a break. And there's videos and stuff that play during that time. So it ends up being pretty cool. And Jeff does not have to join because he's busy doing returns. Can you go back two slides? Two slides? Did I do something? Oh, here we go. We Did I skip one? Answer this. <laughs> I just go right blow right past all right what are some things one needs to know to do with about their taxes in reference to real estate like who would you get to do a 1031 exchange i'll answer the second question first if you are planning to do a 1031 exchange you have to start talking to a qualified intermediary before you start the sale Hmm. they will keep you in line they will keep you out of trouble and handle a lot of the transaction itself what are some of the things you need to know for, uh, for real estate? We do tax-wise, what, three times a year? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Join us for the tax and asset protection because we dive into the tax. But the big things for me is that rental is considered passive as a default, but you can destroy that. There are ways to do it to make it into ordinary active income. If it's ordinary income, sometimes you're subject to self-employment tax. And then also don't fall for the default. Everybody thinks that real estate is either 27 and a half year property or 39 year property. That's not true. You can break your real estate down into two components. It's called 1250 and 1245. And you could accelerate the depreciation on somewhere around a third of your uh, improvements on your your property so that your buildings. And you could take those uh, because of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. You could accelerate that into one year, which means like if I buy a million dollar building, part of it is the land, which we can't depreciate, but let's say we have $800,000 of, of the improvement value, mm-hmm. we could get $250,000 of deduction in year one. That's why accountants like this guy will laugh at it. Sometimes we'll say, hey, look, if, if you're paying taxes in real estate, it's because you kind of want to, Right. Because otherwise we can pretty much get get it to go away. Somebody was sh- shooting a question about Biden and his escort. You guys are funny. Some of you guys are just like, I don't know, I'm going to get him. I mean, I get it. He just didn't pay himself enough salary. So, you know, he used an escort to avoid the payment of a ton of uh, old age disability and survivors insurance and Medicare payment, which is, you know, max 15.3%. Part of it phases out. So, you know, mm-hmm. so d- did he avoid a bunch of tax? Yeah. But tax avoidance isn't illegal. They tried to, the, to, the last president before Biden, Trump, they tried to string him up by his toes for it too. And it's anybody in the tax world just says like, this is what the rules are. 
Why are you yelling at for somebody for following the rules? Somebody says, what else? We'll just keep jumping. Hey, come to the tax and asset protection event. It's fun. It's fun. S-Corp? I thought you said S-Corp. You guys are just no. You guys are horrible. That's real. S-Corp. S-Corp? The only paid is S-Corp. That, that you wrong Biden. All right. Jump on. I have an S-Corp. I wanted to know if there are any tax advantages to buying a real estate business to grow my S-Corp. Is it more worthwhile creating another instead of buying another to add to my S-Corp? I don't even know what this means anymore. Uh, real estate business, You're think- what are you thinking? So properties or? Yeah, here's the thing. When you say business, I think business. Yeah. Like, are you an agent? Are you wholesaling? Are you flipping properties? Are you construction? Are you development? S-Corp appropriate. Jeff, would you put rental real estate or investment property in an S-Corp? I'm not averse to doing that. But uh, if you take it out to refi it, you're going to get nailed. Yeah, that's a, true. A, a, any growth on that property. So what do they call it? Uh, any appreciation? Appreci- well, yeah, it's capital appreciation. There we go. Any capital appreciation. So I buy a, a house for 200, two years, you know, three or four years, whatever. Some point in the future, it's worth 200. And I refi it. If I take that out of the S-Corp, I have to pay tax on the $100,000 of gain right at that point. That is not true of LLCs, taxes, partnership, LLCs, disregarding. Mm-hmm. So I tend to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You get all this real estate in there. The rents still flow down as passive. The If you sell it, it's still capital gains. But if you pull it out of the S-Corp, which you're going to have to do if you're going to do a refi, you could see... Uh, yeah, I, uh, I love the chat. The chat, you guys, I'm like watching you guys. And I see you, David. I see you. But anyway, you could, uh, you got to be careful. You got to be careful because you have that. And depending on what your S corporation is already doing, because it, it sounds like you want to add to your S corporation, you got to make sure you have the proper liability protection. You don't want to mix other business assets with maybe real estate assets. That could go south on you in a hurry. And, and there's no harm to having a second S corporation. But like you said, partnership is my preferred method. Mm-hmm. If, if we're flipping properties, my preferred method becomes my C corporation. Um, I think I've talked about this before. I prefer the S corporations for what I call operating businesses. If you're, if you're a construction company and you're flipping houses constantly, you're doing four or five a year, I don't mind an S corp if that's how you make your living. And you're going to take the money out. If you are doing a bunch of different businesses and you have business one, business two, I'm a W-2 over here. I got some investment properties and I'm probably saying, hey, let's keep it off your return. If you're doing the, the, the flips, if you know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're doing, then do an escort. Because if you have losses, then we want them to flow through. Let's see if there's something else. I'm going to keep going. You have anything else you want to hit on that one? No, but I just heard you, heard you say, it. if you don't know what you're doing, put it on an S corporation so we can take those losses. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know, yeah, hey, if you're, hey, I'm just saying, if it, th- there's no faster way to lose money than the, the, the flipper who doesn't know what they're doing or getting started. You have to expect that you're going to have to uh, run into some, some, some uh, face plants here and pull, you know, whack. You're right. Some, sometimes what we envision is not reality. Yes. Somebody says, can you switch from an S to a C pretty easily? Yeah. You can go C to an S once a year, or if, if you miss the 
filing and it was your accountant's fault, then you can blame them and you can get a late election. You can, but once you go back, and what is it, five years? We yeah, have to wait. you can go to a CRNS fairly easily and you can backdate that somewhat. You can't. Back, an accountant just said backdate. You're recorded. Everybody sees you. No, you can you, make the effective date a prior date, and yes. the IRS will prove that. Yeah. Uh, going from an S corporation or getting out of your S corporation period is a little more difficult. It's effective the day they receive the revocation of your S election. Uh, so we usually recommend it to do it the, the first of the following year. Mm-hmm. And then, as you were saying, once you do that revocation, you cannot elect to be an S corporation again with that entity for five years. Yes, they give you a little period, like they'll let you go one to the other, no problem. One to the other and back again, then you, then you have a timeout for five years. Uh, one other problem, going from a C to an S, uh, is if you already have properties and things of that nature in... Built-in gain. Yes, in the C corporation, you have a built-in gain. And I think the holding period is five years right now. I think it's five. Yeah. In other words, if you sell a property that you had in your C corporation that had already appreciated value, you sell it in your S corporation, you could pay building gains tax. You, you could pay tax at the corporate level. In other words, yes. they, they say, hey, I have a same scenario, $100,000 property, it's in a C corp, it goes up to 500000 I make an S corp election and sell it. That $400,000 doesn't flow to me as capital gains at that point. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in an, a C corp. It's going to be taxed at the C corp level. And actually, what, what you know, that's different, right? Would it be taxed appreciated assets in a C corp? We might have an issue. Yes, but yeah. not, not the 721. 721 is hot assets. We're not going to go into that. Right. But yeah, so just keep in mind, if you're going to change your C corporation that has appreciated property, change that into an S corporation, that there may be some issues. Just talk to your accountant and say, hey, this is what I plan to do. And just make sure that uh, you got somebody to blame if things go wrong. Absolutely. (laughs) That's what I always say is you got blame insurance when you use your professionals. Just make sure it's in writing. Hey, I ask you this. I have a second home in my personal name in a different state. It has appreciated. If I sell the property, how would it be taxed? It would be taxed. The entire gain would be capital gain. There's no 121 exclusion. Uh, there's no 1031 unless you make it a rental property first. Mm-hmm. So your gain is going to be taxed at the federal level, and it's also going to be taxed in the state that it's in. Mm-hmm. You're also going to be taxed in the state you reside in, but you're not going to pay the same tax twice mm-hmm. between the two states. Yeah. So you have this, like, technically, let's say I have a second home in a personal name, different state. That's personal property. It's not investment property if you make it rental and you turn it into a rental which could be done with as little as what more than 14 days of rental Mm -hmm. then you could technically you could 1031 it and roll that basis into something else if you have used it as your primary residence at two of the last five years prior to that sale then you could potentially get the the basis stepped up on that and the 1031 exchange at the same time, like we talked about earlier, or if you didn't need it, you could just do it as capital gains. But keep in mind that if you use it as investment property at all, more than those 14 days or more than 10% of the total, oh, no, we don't have to worry about that. It's just more than 14 days. You have depreciation recapture period, whether you took it or not, the IRS makes you recapture it no matter what. Uh, The other thing I've been asked is, well, can't I just make my second home my primary residence? It's not that easy. Mm -hmm. 
No, you have to, they have a bunch of tests. Yeah. You got to have your driver's license there. They're going to be looking at where you vote, where your kids go to school, where you're using the most utilities, all that stuff. Right. And they're going to be counting the number of days also that you live in that house. They do do that. Do, 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 do. All right. So we've talked about hot assets and escorts. Yes, Julie, I, we're aware of that. That's actually a term, hot assets in the accounting world. They all get excited because it means it's going to be, what, ordinary income? Mm-hmm. Which we all go, oh, my God, there's going to be ordinary income. Yeah. Anyway, the um, way it sounds more exciting now that I say it out loud, it doesn't sound that exciting. Questions, questions. Uh, somebody says, I have a, I'm in California, have a rental. I overheard something that if I move out of state then and then sell California clause back the capital gains, is this correct? Yeah. In fact, they do it even if you 1031 exchange, you have to keep track of the gain. There's a great case, I think it's Hyatt v. Commissioner, where the guy moved out of uh, California, moved to Vegas, and the, they actually deployed agents here and violated his civil rights. He won, got this huge judgment against him. It goes to the Supreme Court. They win, but then they had some limitation on him. Uh, it wasn't complete immunity, but they had like a $50,000 cap on damages against the agents, even though they broke into the guy's house and violated his civil rights. Long story short, it was all about gains that occurred while he lived in California. And then he moved and he had this big mass of like 30 million or some massive amount of sale. And California wanted its piece. He probably spent more in legal fees than just paying the tax, but that's what they do. It's absolutely, they're vampires. They just suck your blood until you're like, uh, once you become a resident of California, you can never leave. And they, and they literally, if you do a 1031, that's why you use a qualified intermediary. That qualified intermediary is going to track what that gain was in California. And if you sell at any point in the future, California gets, that's going to be taxable in California. Now, wow. Makes me not want to live in California. No offense. I love California. It's like, expensive. But uh, I just don't know. It's a cost benefit. <laughs> All right. I have a client that purchased a home in 2016. Okay. So it's a financial person. Lived in it for four years. And in 2020, they rented it to a friend. On their taxes, they reported that year of rental. Perfect which they didn't gain anything from, probably because you had depreciation. They want to sell it and help their daughter get a new place. They don't want to pay capital gains on the property. What would the best course of action? What would be the best course of action, Jeff? I I like these scenarios where I don't have to give any bad news. Yep. Everything's perfect. Running to a friend doesn't matter. We're assuming they were paying fair market value. I think I 1031 that property, just my opinion get a new property and put my daughter in the new property or no what do you do i was going to rent to her for a year and then sell it to her it's already an investment property so you have four years you have what what year is it right now so they lived in it for four years till 2020 Mm -hmm. in 2020 they rented it to somebody else now we've had another year they have one more year to use 121 exclusion Mm. so you could sell it and avoid capital gains completely up to $250,000 if you're single, $500,000 if you're married. However, there's that one year of depreciation, which will be about what, 3% of the value of the- uh, Yeah, about three and a half percent. Yeah, so like, so, so, so if you have a property that had a depreciable basis of 500,000, it means you're gonna have to pay tax at your ordinary rate 
capped at 25% on that, uh, what would that be? About $15,000. So you'd end up paying maximum $3,750 under mm-hmm. that scenario. So $3,000. You're not going to pay much in tax and you're, you're going to pay zero in capital gains because depreciation recapture is not capital gains. So you could do that. If it's too valuable, you don't even have to rent it to your daughter. It's already rented. You could just sell it. Then I think you said this, buy an investment property, mm-hmm. rent it. I guess you could rent it technically to your daughter since you own it and you have an, a, and you have a, uh, you deferred whatever gain could be yeah, in, in addition. Like if you didn't want to pay the recapture, you could do both. But I'll just tell you the qualified intermediary is going to cost you 800 bucks to a thousand. So you may as well, I would probably just do it. So yeah, let's assume that you can do the 121. Uh-huh. We don't need the 1031. Then they have a few choices. They can buy a new property and just let their daughter live there. Mm-hmm. Or they could treat it like uh, investment property and rent it to her. Or they could do some kind of sale at a discount to her. I know you can do it with siblings. I'm not like you'd have to talk to your qualified intermediary, whether you could go straight to your daughter or whether you'd have to bring it, put another investor in there. But yeah, you could absolutely make it work. You. You, you, if you choose to pay the tax, it's because you are agreeing to pay the tax. If you want to avoid it, you have uh, means to avoid it. Yeah, hundred percent. Somebody was asking about the, um, and I missed it. There was both on the question answer and in the chat on the Biden proposals. I'm just going to go back to this real quick and talk about the IRA just for a second. That there is a proposal in the Ways and Means, and it's showing up in the text of some of the bills that are being bounced around. Nothing's been passed yet, but they want to do away with self-directed IRAs buying private placements or owning LLCs. And there's a ton of these. They call it a checkbook LLC. And you're going to have two years to liquidate. So like you're going to have tax hit all over the place on people because there's folks with millions of dollars in their IRA mm. that are held in private placements and they're just going to get hammered. I, I, I don't think that's going to make it through. I think that's a big boogeyman scary tactic to get them to agree to other things and basically say, that's so scary. What can we do to avoid it? Oh, you can disagree to this and this. So I always look at it saying, is it, is it tactic or is it reality? That would be vicious if it is reality. Um, and as far as workarounds, there's really not a ton. There's going to be tax mitigation strategies. So when you get hit with that, you're going to do it. Uh, maybe you're going to try to do it for the end of the year. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not pretty. Yes, they are looking at that and they would take away a lot of those benefits. In fact, this is timely. I didn't realize this was the next question. So this is the exact point that they're trying to attack. They don't like what they perceive as rich people investing their retirement accounts and blowing them up really big. So they have the PayPal guy that invested in early shares for pennies in his Roth IRA and ends up making, I think it was billions with the B of dollars in his Roth IRA that is exempt from ever being taxed. So the so what, what Congress is doing is saying, we don't like that. We don't want rich people having money in retirement accounts. In fact, we're only gonna let you have $10 million in a retirement account, period. If you get above that, you have to distribute 50% of it every year until you're back down there. So it's crazy. Let's do this one. Invested in real estate syndication with a self-directed IRA, traditional IRA account. That's just a fancy way of saying I invested in real estate 
in my IRA. The account is deferred tax account. Yep. I re- so it's a traditional IRA. I received a K-1. That's from the syndication. You didn't get it from your IRA. You got it from the syndication. So the IRA received a K-1 showing income to the IRA. Now they're saying UBIT, which is interesting. I wonder what the syndication is. And do you have to pay taxes on it even if you take a distribution out? Jeff? Yeah, I found this odd too. Um, A real estate syndication is usually rental property and that is not UBI. But what I bet this is, is not UBI, but DFI. Yeah, uh, unrelated debt financing. Yes. So uh, IRAs are subject to both UBIT and the tax for, uh, well, I guess the, the DFI is also considered UBIT, isn't it? Yep. It's going to be taxed. Technically. Yeah. So it's going to be taxed. But, it, but it is different. So the easiest way to think about this, if I have a McDonald's and an IRA, mm-hmm. I'm competing with for-profit businesses. It says the IRA doesn't get an upper hand. The IRA has to pay tax if it runs the McDonald's. If it owns McDonald's as a passive investment, like the shares in a big company, and it's getting dividends, then that's okay. But if it's actively doing stuff, it doesn't like it. So, so you can be so you're okay to be doing rental property. You can own a syndication. The problem is, is IRAs cannot have debt. If it does have debt, in other words, it's borrowing to buy an asset, then what the, the portion of that debt to the asset is the portion of that income that you have to pay tax on. So if I have, uh, let's say I, I have a property and I put down 50%, and so let's say it's $2 million property and it makes $100,000 a year that it kicks down. Of that 100,000 of profit after depreciation, everything else, and don't play mm-hmm. like, let's just, let's just say it did do that. It made $100,000, 50% of it would be taxable as DFI or UDFI because 50% was generated by the leverage. You know what doesn't pay this, by the way? What type of entity could they have done it instead of the traditional IRA? 401k. 401ks do not pay debt finance income. So you do not pay tax. So you could have a 401k and an IRA. IRA pays the tax. 401k doesn't. You could roll the IRA into the 401k and not pay it. Problem solved. Do I also pay taxes when I take distributions? Yes, you do. Absolutely. Would that be double taxation? And the answer is no, because... What the UBIT is, that unrelated business income taxes, that's a penalty tax for doing something you they don't like you doing. It's a leveling and, and of the I, playing field. An IRA is considered an exempt organization, a not-for-profit organization mm-hmm. or entity. Um, but when you participate in a for-profit business, trader business. Somebody says, mine was in a 401k and I had to pay UBIT. Tomorrow, you do not pay. If, if it was debt finance, you wouldn't pay it. If it was, uh, it, it's just, it's what section 408, I want to say, but it's, you're not subject to it. If it was UBIT in the traditional unrelated business income tax because you were running an active business, then you would. Quick example you go to the hospital, they have the gift shop that the hospital owns. They pay UBIT on that flower mm-hmm. shop or gift shop because it's unrelated to their. Right. No, he says they check the box in the K1. I don't, I don't care. I would say I'm not subject to it. Uh, well, they, they could have been subject to the U, but not the DFI. Correct. But he says that he had to pay it because they checked it on there. So mm. tomorrow, it, 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 that would be something you have your accountant look at. I don't care what the syndicator does. Like, I'm going to correct it if it's wrong. I'm going to ask him to reissue it, or I'm just going to correct it. And I'm going to stand by and say, hey, this is a passive 
investment vehicle that owns this. This is a 401k. It is not subject to the uh, the debt finance income because what usually what they're doing is they're saying what portion of you know was their debt used in it. I forget the boxes. What does it say? Uh, what's the terms on the K one for debt that they have there? I don't know. They're they're all in the additional information portion mm-hmm. anymore. Well, there's a there's a section where they're asking whether you're on the debt, you know. So, gosh, I'm blanking on all the different terms today. So, what is it when you have debt and and, and you know, non recourse debt? So, you can't have recourse debt in the 401k. You can't have recourse. You can't have you know debt. You're going to have non recourse debt in the IRA as well. Uh, but you're going to pay tax on the gains related to the or the income related from the debt in the IRA. You're not going to pay that in a 401k. So you'd want to have somebody take a look at that. Mm-hmm. All right. We actually did ask a bunch of questions. Somebody says, you guys are having some fun in the chat room. Somebody says, I have a, I have a property that's held myself directed IRA, but it's not a checkbook IRA. And the property is in an LLC. That is a checkbook IRA. The IRS custodian makes payments that I order. Will they include it? Yeah, they would be included. So Katie, what they're talking about is the type of investment. So they're going to say that you can't have a self, just the proposals. I'm not saying this is what's going to pass. The proposals say you can't have an LLC inside of an IRA or 401k. The proposals say that no matter what, you can't invest in a private placement memorandum, something that's for a sophisticated or accredited investor. So uh, I'm just saying we don't know what the law is going to be because Frankly, that thing is huge. It was like 1,500 pages. Nobody's even read the, uh, what is it, the House version. And the Ways and Means doesn't write the law. They, you know, they have mm-hmm. their, uh, the language that they're agreeing on. But you still have lots of jockeying around. So until something comes out, I just, I just take note of it. And then I try to put it in the back of my head. Let's see what else I have. I plan to purchase rental property with a loan with option to occupy several weeks out of the year. Is it better to rent entirely or purchase as a secondary home? If I am to use it as a rental only, how much travel expenses am I allowed? Am I allowed to write off travel the year prior as it took time and several tries to actually obtain the property? I kind of got three different scenarios here. Uh, one, you plan to purchase a rental property, but use it occasionally. Uh, if you do that, I wouldn't do it for more than two weeks because that changes the nature of that rental property. <laughs> Uh, is it better to rent entirely or purchase as a secondary home? Those seem to be polar opposites to me. One is an investment property that you're trying to make money on, and one is just a second home, unless you're planning on renting that out. Yeah, so the, the IRS has funky rules, right? So mm-hmm. if I buy a rental property, but I use it the greater of 14 days or 10% of its rented days. So if it's if it's rented 200 days, I could use it up to 20 days without having to declare, hey, this is personal use property. If I have personal use property, then it's the opposite. I have 14 days to rent it without having to do anything and letting the IRS know. Any days above that, now that's investment property. When you're in either of the scenarios where you've exceeded the the amount they've allotted you, so I buy an investment property and I use it 8% of the time, I'm probably good. It's an investment property. I don't have to break it out and say, this is personal and this is investment. But I go above that. I'm using it 20% of the time for me. I only, then I'm, I'm not going to get to depreciate 20% of the home. Right. I'm not going to get to write off 20% of the expenses. 
I'm like, there's a portion of it that says, okay, it's 20% personal, 80% investment. You get 80% of all the the deductions and everything else, but you don't get the full amount. And, and I believe at that point, your losses are limited to your income. You cannot take the losses and offset other income with them either. Yeah. You are limited to the, the revenue that's generated on it. That's why it comes pretty important. Like when you, especially when we see people doing Airbnbs and they're going Airbnb, <laughs> you know, I have my Mexico property and I go down there and I stay in it all the time, but it's an Airbnb and I'm going to accelerate the depreciation. I'm going to kick butt. And then they go to their account and they say, wait a second, you can't do it. You violated, you stayed there too much. So what you don't do is stay at your unit. If you're going to do this, you rent your unit mm-hmm. and then you use the rent that comes in off of your unit to rent somebody else's unit, but you do not go stay in your unit if you're going to exceed 14 days or 10% of those days. Uh, if I am to use as a rental only, how much travel expense am I allowed? Then the question becomes how much travel was for the business? Uh, there's there's not a limitation on how much is allowed, but it has to be business related, um, ordinary and necessary. Yeah, if it's travel looking for a home, you're going to be able to not deduct that, but you would capitalize that into the cost of the property you end up buying. Yeah, you set up an active business, you're capitalizing over 15 years, but they have a rule that says, "Hey, I can write off uh, five thousand dollars of startup expense mm-hmm. in investments." It's I don't get to write off the five; I just get to throw it into the basis and I'll just not pay gain on it. Kind of a funky, you do that in a traditional business too, like a, like dealer property. If right. I'm flipping property too, I don't, I'm not depreciating anything at that point. I'm just adding it into basis. Like if you were a Cadillac dealership, you don't depreciate the cars, you write them off against the revenue. Wouldn't that be cool though, if you could? Oh yeah. I never saw them. I just sit them there. Hey, this is a great investment. I want a piece of a, Pretend car lot. All right. Can my business pay 100% of my tuition for advancing my career? If yes, how do I set it up? I think this was my favorite question. There are three sections of the code that deal with education expenses paid by employers. First one's section 117, but that has to do with schools, colleges, and all paying tuition for their employees. Mm Mm-hmm. Section 120. This isn't going to work, by the way. That's not going to work. Section 127 uh, is uh, the educational assistance program where you're paying tuition for your students or for your employees and their family members. However, it has an anti discrimination role. You you can't get all the benefit of it. No more than 5% can go to owners of more than 5% and their families. So Mm -hmm. if you're the only employee, then this doesn't work, period. Then there's section 132, working condition fringe benefit. This will allow you to pay the education expenses unlimited. Two areas, right? Two areas. And it has to be directly related to your business and has to be a condition of employment. There is no plan to set up. Uh, You do have to track the expenses. You just reimburse it. You reimburse it and make sure you're... If it makes you a better employee and does not create a new career for you, you can do it if it is part of your licensing or uh, is a is a condition. Then it, you can pay for it. So, like Jeff is an mm-hmm. accountant. How long have you been an accountant for? Wait, I can do this. Thirty two years. Thirty two years. So Jeff's been doing accounting longer than I've been alive. Um, <laughs> I'm only twenty eight. I have anniversaries. I don't have birthdays. But Jeff 
can go get continuing education and the company can cover it for Jeff, pay, reimburse him. So if Jeff goes to like, you can do your continuing education anywhere. Mm-hmm. So when Jeff says, Hey, Toby, I'm going to do my continuing education in Hawaii, which we actually teach continuing education in Hawaii for a huge group of realtors from Alaska. And they come down and we teach, what is it? Uh, it goes two days, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, we get the two days in between and the two travel days is all of those is business days. So they get seven, eight days, business days. It's actually eight days of business days. Uh, yeah, they can, they get to cover all those expenses. Their, their, their business can reimburse them. Their employer can reimburse them and hundred percent deductible because mm-hmm. they have to do it for like there as realtors. Now here's somebody here and he says, Hey, I want to go to college and I can get a degree out of this. Does a de- degree disqualify them from being able to, to deduct it? Not necessarily. So when I was at CLU, <laughs> Boeing would send all of its engineers into the MBA program and they'd be sitting in there. There was always a bunch of them. And guess what? Boeing was paying 100% of their tuition. Guess who wasn't getting his tuition covered? Me. Well, I did for a little while. I was a soccer player. But that my last year, I didn't. I was like out of pocket. And I was like, meh, 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 meh. so they got to write it out. They didn't, you know, business gets to deduct it. I didn't get a deduction. But I didn't make much money anyway, so didn't yeah, And another good example of this, the difference is I'm a medical practice. I have an LPN working for me. She wants to accomplish and get her RN. That's not changing what she does. I can totally mm-hmm. pay for all those expenses. Now, when she says, I've decided to go to med school, it's, dis- it's disqualified. She's now changing mm-hmm. what she is getting yeah. her. If I'm in a plumbing business and I go to accounting school, and I have nothing to do with the accounting on the business, mm-hmm. I can't write it up. But if I, like Jeff, if he said, hey, I want to go to law school, we probably could reimburse Jeff for law school because it's part of what we do. It's part of, you know, and then, de- hey, the degree is just a bonus. So if you want to go back to law school, brother, yeah. I'll reimburse you. That ship has sailed. <laughs> it's never too late, Jeff. I've heard that. I've heard that it's never too late. Hey, follow us on social media. There's a whole bunch of links there. Real, honestly, just follow us on YouTube. That's the best thing. I love the Facebook and everything else, but like the YouTube is where you're going to get the most juice right now. My daughter's going to law school. Tell me with my business. Can I write off her law school? Shelly, no, but I'll tell you how to pay her, like pay her a salary out of your business. So she pays taxes at her level. So for example, if Jeff and I, well, let's, let's, I'll, I'll do it. So it's my daughter. She's 23. So if I, if my daughter was going to school, I don't want to pay for her tuition. What I'll do is I say to my daughter, hey, you have to do things for the business and I'll pay you. And then you get to pay your own tuition. It could be the same amount. Hey, I pay her for whatever tuition is. Right now you get $12,550 a year tax-free, whether you're dependent or not. And then uh, if they do get additional, hey, if it's $50,000 a year, it's still a lot better than your tax bracket. You're having to pay that thing. It's what could be 39.6%, right? I just want to get that thing lower, lower. All right, here, let's go. With our C-Corp, would it be best to pay us a reasonable or minimum reasonable salary and supplement our personal income with dividend payouts, assuming the dividends are taxed at a lower rate and not subject to self-employment tax? Jeffrey. A couple of different ways to go on this. The problem with dividends is, well, let's start with salary. If I pay myself a salary out of my corporation, that's a deduction to the corporation, even though it's income to me. Mm -hmm. 
if I pay myself a dividend out of my corporation, that is income to me, although at a lower tax rate, Mm -hmm. but it's not a deduction to the corporation. So this is one of those places. No, it's not subject to self-employment tax, uh, but this is one of those areas where you have to do the calculations to figure out what works best. If you're in, say, you're married and making less than $80,000, I would probably go ahead and do the dividends. So the reason Jeff is bringing that up is because dividends out of a C-corp are taxable at your long-term capital gains rate. Your long-term capital gains rate is either zero, 15, or 20%, really 23.8%, because whenever you're paying the 20%, you're getting hit with the net investment income tax as well. So if you are, I know, so if I'm 28 and my daughter's 23, hey, some of us are early bloomers, brother. Um, that's just horrible. It would be like a crime. Yeah. So I'm not really 28. I'm more like 30. Still shorter than Jeff's been an accountant. Where were we at? I just get distracted all the time. So the the beautiful part is that if you are a single person or a married couple, and if you're single making less than $40,000 a year, you're married making less than $80,000 a year, you have an appetite for long-term capital gains. And that's going to come from dividends. That's going to come from selling Bitcoin that, that you've held over a year. That's going to come from futures that are 60, 40, 60% long-term capital gain. Like you could get, and like you have some tax appetite. Mm-hmm. This is frustrating for guys like me is at the end of the year, you'll see somebody who has harvestable uh, losses and they're like, oh, you know, I'll sell that. But they, they have all this tax-free gain and they're like, oh, but I don't want to sell that. I'm like, you sell it and then buy it back. This is a long-term hold. You've held it over a year. By all means, sell it, get that gain that's at zero. Buy it back. You have a new basis that you'll never pay tax on that ever again, and then continue to hold it. Mm-hmm. Even if you sold it a month later and you're like, well, that's short-term gain, only on the amount of the increase over the new basis. And then you have somebody say, well, you have the wash sale rule. No, it's the wash sale loss rule. There's no such thing as loss sale gain rule. And there's no wash sale loss rule right now on cryptocurrency. You could sell that whenever it drops and say like, Hey, I got more loss. Buy it back. Runs up. But anyway. Well, let's go back to why you might want to take a salary. Let's say Mm. your C corporation is profitable. It's going to pay tax. You're in that below 80,000, 40,000. You're in a lower tax bracket than the corporation is better to reduce the corporation's tax Mm -hmm. by paying yourself a salary and paying a little tax on it yourself. And you're never paying self-employment tax. Mm -hmm. Self-employment's only for partnerships and sole proprietors. You're paying OAD, you're you're paying social security, but you're paying, the employer pays half, you pay half. You're still paying into the system. So you are going to reap a reward for that. The other reason why you might pay yourself a salary is to defer a bunch of it into a 401k. So if you're under 50, like me, then, okay, maybe not. Then you're at uh, 19,500. If you're over 50, like somebody else, then you're at what? You could put 26,500. Yeah, 26,500 per employee. Maybe 27, 27. Is it 20? Is yeah, it they, six bumped, and they bumped up the uh, 6,500 this year. Yeah, so it's, oh yeah, so then that would be, no, that's 19,500 and 6,500. Well, 6,500 would be 26,000. 
You're right. Yeah. So maybe it's 26. So Toby passes. So the uh, <laughs> sometimes we're just moving around here. Um, but the it means that you could put quite a bit into your 401k plan. So again, same scenario. I have a C Corp. It's taxed at 21%. You talk to Jeff and he says, hey, distribute yourself, uh, not distribute, but pay yourself a salary before the end of the year of 25000 And you go, why would I do that? And Jeff says, because we're going to put 19500 immediately into the 401k and the company is going to make a contribution of 25% of that amount. So you're going to pay tax on just a little bit of money, mm-hmm. the the, uh, the employment taxes, which adds up to 14.1%, and you're going to not pay any federal or state income taxes, and you're going to have a whole bunch of money in a 401k. And it's going to put 25% that would normally be taxed at 21% as the corporation, and it's going to pay that. So if you paid yourself $25,000, you would be able to put, what is that, about uh, sixty-seven fifty or something like that, mm-hmm. $6,750. So you're going to get... immediately into your 401k. Well, great place for it because then you can just make money to your heart's content in the market and doing whatever. Just don't run an active business. Just do investments. Clint's over 50. Yes, he is. But he doesn't look a day over 60. Um, Pick on people who aren't here. Considering investing in real estate with the... Oh, by the way, on this one, I just always point out the corporation pays it at its rate at 21%. The company does not get a deduction. Like Jeff said, it's paying you out the dividend. A lot of people will just leave it in the corp. You don't have to pay it out as a dividend. So you could just say, hey, it's taxed at 21%. I now have that cash to use for other things. I'm reimbursing expenses that always come up. I'll get the money out later. Mm-hmm. I'm not in any big rush. It's just better than being taxed at my rate, especially if you're above 30. And if you have state income taxes like in some states it goes up to like when we hit the 39.6 it'll be over 52 53 percent again which is just nuts right can you believe that given half your money anyway um considering investing in real estate with the associated deductions to offset some of the in the (laughs) so probably to get benefits in 2021 may the purchase of the real estate occur prior to filing deadline 2022 to offset gains made in 2021. In other words, can I make investments after the end of the tax year and use them for last year? No. What you can do in 20, and I'm hobarting this one, but what you can do for 2021 is you can make tax elections up until you uh, file your final tax return or up until the final tax return deadline if you file it earlier. So even for last year, so let's just say this, Last year, uh, 2020, we're, we're doing the taxes right now. You have about two weeks to make a change of accounting or three weeks to make a change of accounting method. So you could do a cost segregation and accelerate depreciation. You can, even if you've already filed your tax return, you could still make this change, yes. correct? Yes. Yeah, but if, but if it's for anything else, hey, I... I want to make charitable deductions. I want to pay payroll and things like that. It needs to be done during the calendar year with very few exceptions. Like there's uh, HSAs, 401ks, IRAs, and things like that that are up until the original deadline. There's making contributions to employee retirements from the employer up until it files its tax return. Like there's a few little Mm -hmm. things that are kind of funky, but you can't just go buy things now and use them for last year. 
hey, there's YouTube. Subscribe, ABALink.YouTube. I see a lot of questions on Airbnb and things like that. I just put some new stuff up, went into detail, seven days or less, significant services, all that fun stuff. I know there's some people out there with questions. There's some bad information on the internet that makes it more complicated, but you know, it's fairly straightforward when you look at it. Let's go to another one since we're going over. Jeff's a chatty Cathy today. Uh, just keep talking. You're just, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. all right. I am looking to domesticate my LLC from Nevada to Wyoming, which you can actually do. It's no problem. I have previously done a flip in the LLC. Is it okay to move to Wyoming as a standalone entity? Is my anonymity already shut? This is actually really easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Nevada and Wyoming, what, what's it called? Conversion or? Yeah, you can, you can convert into Wyoming. As far as your anonymity being blown shot, Nevada and Wyoming both have really good anonymity. I, I yeah. don't see that happening unless you put your name out there yourself. Yeah, so Nevada requires the listing of officer and mm-hmm. a director, the three officers and a director. So it's the president, the treasurer, and the secretary. But we use nominees in all of ours. So if you're with us, chances are my name's on there. And then if you convert it, there's no name on there. So you don't have any blown anonymity. If you flip the property and there's something in the state that's in a public record somewhere tying you to the property, it's kind of weird. When you do national searches, when you're using the big engines or you use a uh, private investigator to do this, the asset searches, they're looking for things that are currently there. So even if they saw like, Hey, I did a flip, they're looking for the Nevada entity. They're going to see it being revoked, you know, or terminated uh, or converted. And then they, they might be able to follow it under those circumstances. If they see a conversion and then they go and say, all right, where was it converted to? And it's the same exact name, then they would follow to Wyoming, but that doesn't, that doesn't cause you any issues. That just means the entity itself has the liability. So if you're worried about liability, the easiest thing to do is to shut down that existing LLC and set up a new one. I, I was just going to say that, that I think if I've previously done a flip in a Nevada entity, mm-hmm. I would probably shut that one down and form a new Wyoming LLC. Yeah. We have kind of rules of thumb. It's like no more than five flips in any one entity. And, you know, and if you want, if, if there's a liability where you're looking <laughs> at it going, oh man, it's, it's just, I have a bad feeling, dissolve it be done with it, set up something else. Patty shared all those links. I I do say, you know, subscribe to our channel, please. It helps us to communicate. And again, there's no, there's no gimmicks. We just share a lot of information. We've been doing this for 23 years. Jeff's been doing it a lot longer. (laughs) It was ruthless on you. Uh, With, you look really good though, for your age. With all the proposed changes, no, you just look good. With all the proposed changes under the administration, are there any moves that should be made now? Okay. I, 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 I'm going to go here. Uh-huh. I learned my lesson in 2012. Mm-hmm. There were massive changes happening to the tax law. It was a week or two before they were supposed to be released. We were doing presentations about it. <laughs> it was set in stone. Well, we found out it was sandstone and everything changed within a week. Like that. Um, Screwed so, everybody. Oh, yeah. So I'll be honest. I don't pay a lot of attention to proposed tax law unless I see it in the full House or Senate voting for it. Uh, then I start paying attention. I do look, one of the things we talked about is the proposed changes to IRAs that I don't think are going to happen either. We'll see. I've been wrong a lot, but 
you know, Congress is Congress. They're going to do what they think is in their best interest. Yeah. Right now, if you've been listening to the news, the Republicans are blocking a couple things that need to happen this week. That's probably going to force the Democrats to pull back on what they're requesting. So, so I'll put it this way. There are a few things that you could do that you don't hurt yourself. What I saw a lot of and what, what we were trying to combat is there's a few aggressive accountants that would say, oh, the estate tax is going back down to 1 million. It's going back down to 3 million. So they'd go after somebody who has property that they've owned for a long period of time that has lots of capital gain in it and the recapture. And they would convince them to gift it to their kids. Hey, let's get this out of your estate. So we'll gift it. And they would gift it to the children and it cost them a step up in basis on those properties. Yeah. So one in particular just sits in my head, which was millions of dollars that would have been non-taxed. Like none of the stuff the accountant said actually occurred, but the guy gave away the assets. He passed away. The kids did not get a step up in basis. So when they sold the building, they had all this gain. They were, it, I remember it was just a nightmare because the, the building was had been in that family for about 50 years. So it was like, really low basis. So they had a large tax hit. And I remember just like, I didn't want to roast the accountant, but I, well, you know, it could have been, <laughs> there could have been bad, like it could have been bad. So I always look at it and say, Hey, you know what, if you want to freeze something, then, you know, you can do some gifting like, Hey, right now we know we have an $11 million, 11.5 million or mm-hmm. whatever it is, estate tax exclusion, but I could gift that too. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to gift it, to somebody gifted into uh, a trust or something for my kids, I could do that if that's really what my intent is, or I could get it out of my estate in another means. I prefer using charitable organizations where I get a benefit and I don't really care. None of that's like the only thing that's on the time critical is if I'm gifting it to my kids directly. For example, if I'm going to give Jeff, like my estate's above whatever the threshold is where I think it's problematic, probably right now. Think they're talking about six million. So anything over twelve million dollars with a, with a couple, I probably I'm like, all right, your state's worth twenty five million. Let's get some of this out at this high level that we know what it's going to be in case it gets smaller. All right, so maybe I'll give away non highly appreciated assets right. or some things that don't have a bunch of built in gain, or I'll sell it on an installment sale to a trust that for the kids and and do something like that and say, you know what, I'm going to sell it to you. I'm going to recognize this income. If they don't change things, I'm just going to gift it to you afterward. Like I'll just, I'll, I'll undo it by giving you the note and, uh, you know, at some point in the future, but at least I, I like as, as the person who's giving it, I haven't completely screwed them at that point. Cause I could still step up the basis on that asset. Uh, if I did an installment note, I like the idea of in that example, if I have considerable cash, I give that to them. Let's say I don't want them to have it right now. I gift it to an irrevocable trust. That's a completed yeah. gift. Yeah. It's out of your estate. Yep. It, it, you have to have a third party that's managing it, but you yeah. can do that pretty easy. You're all incidents of ownership and they're, they're just the new beneficiary. It's out of your estate. So one thing that this question asks about moves that should be made now, we don't want you making moves that could harm you if the tax laws don't change. Yep. If you make a change, in regards to the proposed tax laws, you need to look at them like what happens if they do change the tax law? What happens if they don't? You just, you just want flexibility in your yep. plan. Yeah. Like 
don't make it more difficult than it is. If you have a good structure, you're going to be able to take advantage of any of the, there's always a safety net. And there's certain things like they're, they're really going neutral to a certain extent. So every time they take something away, they really gave us something else. We just have to go find it. And uh, there's 15,000 pages of things to go find or whatever it is, 1500 pages. There's always something guys. And don't ever fret. Like there's always something. Uh, in fact, here's something come to the tax and asset protection event on Saturday because we go over a whole bunch of tax strategies. And by the way, you can always give it away. You could do a charitable remainder trust. You could do, uh, hey, I can give away 100% of my t- uh, cash <laughs> this year. Like if I make a million bucks, I can give away a million bucks and pay zero tax in 2021. So if they do something crazy, give away a whole bunch of money, convert your traditional IRA into a Roth before they close that loophole. Like you, There's always stuff you can do. Trust me, there's going to be accountants and attorneys coming out of the woodwork with really great ideas. There's really smart people out there. We steal all their ideas. All right. So, and then we tell them to you at the tax and asset protection (laughs) workshop. So come to the tax asset protection workshop, spend a day with us and learn all about LLCs, land trust, trusts, living trusts, series LLCs, corporations, S Corp, C Corps. If you have a question about those things, come join us. And it's a lot of fun. Hey, if you like this type of information. We do put Tax Tuesdays out as podcasts. We cut them up into two pieces, bite-sized pieces. So you can always be getting your little bit of tax, your, your tax kick. You're like, hey, I need a, I need my, I need some tax knowledge. I'm feeling a little bit groggy and I, I, I really want to pick me up. So I want some tax knowledge. That'll do it for you. It's either that or a Red Bull. And Red Bull's not good for you, but tax knowledge is. Yeah. All right. And then if you have questions, shoot them to us at Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors. We get hundreds. And we try to get through them. We try to make sure that we're answering it. There we go. Someone's going to submit it. Oh, there's the podcast. Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. We don't charge you for this, guys. Right? People always say, why are you doing this? Uh, Because it's good. It's fun. You have to reap and sow. So you better plant seeds out there. So we plant seeds with y'all. And then when something comes up, hopefully you'll use us. If you don't, doesn't matter. We're giving good information out there. That's why we're broadcasting it on YouTube. You don't have to sign up. We don't need an email. This isn't a, we're going to market the hell out of you. We just like giving out good information. And if you do good things, you get rewarded in the long run. We believe that we practice what we preach. So that's why we do it. Plus Jeff would just stay in his office all day and he wouldn't talk to anybody. I didn't drag him in here and make him do it. Well said. So (laughs) I'm just teasing it from, uh, Hey, it's always fun to do the tax Tuesday. We'll see you in Two weeks, Jeff. Do you have anything you want to say? Two, two weeks is. Oh, we might. You probably won't be doing it if it's. Uh, I might. Be. If he's going to be in the middle of the tax season. I might grab. Uh, I think we we're going to grab Michael. Uh, okay. Bowman. I'll make Bowman do it with me, but we'll make sure that we get it. I was we'll, just going to come and say tired or snarky things because I'm tired and cranky. It, and... It'll be funny. He'll just keep repeating. Could you please get me your documents? Could you please get me your documents? I'm. Re- it's. It's in review. It's in review. That's pretty much by the end of it. It's all he's doing. No dog food is not deductible unless you're in that profession. <laughs> Can I ride off my leashes in Vegas? Well, I won't touch it. All right, guys. Uh, we love working with you guys. Love having fun. Uh, really appreciate it. And good luck out there, guys. We'll have uh, we'll, until we see you again. Thanks for joining us. And thanks, Elliot and Pio and, and, and Ian and uh, everybody else, if I'm forgetting you, because you guys just do a fantastic job answering all those questions. Yeah. Andrew, Matthew, Patty, and I'm forgetting Troy was on there. And uh, 
who else? Dana. Dana was on there mm-hmm. too at some point. So they those guys just knock it out of the out of the park. So thanks guys for doing all that. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 